What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Well, I'm going to tell you, I enjoyed the book. I flew through it um, in about like <laughs> okay. two or three days. I really flew through it. And it was uh, it was really, really, really fascinating. I think it's a lot more like your uh, Mysteries in the Mist book. Um, yeah, I mean, I see, it as, I see it as being a little bit different from just about anything else that I've written because it's, it's not so much of a case book as yeah. it is... Though there's lots of case work in it, is it's more of a think piece, yeah, right. You know, because I'm, I, yeah, the whole idea. I mean, I'm sure you know. Um, I ended up several times discussing this idea with Soraya on on Word of the Road Go. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, after Sasquatch Canada was done, and and you know, I'd gone through the whole publicity tour for that. I decided that I was gonna gonna run with that. And see, you know, I talked to Soraya, I talked to to um, <clears throat> to Tim Renner and and Joshua Kutch and those guys who'd kind of formed the core of the the people that I think had kind of the original idea. And you know, they were all like, "Yeah, cool, write a book." <laughs> so um, I uh, I had no idea what a rabbit hole I was getting down um, when I started researching poltergeists. Um, yeah, so it's a, big, it's a big subject. It's it's a huge, huge subject. Yeah, and you know, I try when I am doing a book to keep it fairly concise. And um, I may have have overdone it on this book because um, there was so much stuff that that I could have included um, that it could have easily been you know, a two volume set, you know? but uh, that's not what I was trying to do. So yeah. Um, Concise is good to get your point across. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I worry that maybe I was a little too concise this time, but uh, everybody that's read it has said they've enjoyed it. So, um, you know, I, 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 I really haven't actually it. looked, yeah, I haven't actually looked at the Amazon book reviews. Um, I try not to do that very often because yeah. People can be a little strange, you know. It's like right. my book didn't get here in time, and it must be your problem, you know. Like, no, I didn't <laughs> well, I would have loved the book if it got here on time. When I said it was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
people can be a little yeah you know people can be a little weird i had a, a review for um uh i think it was canadian monsters and mysteries but it might have been mysteries in the mist where the person said i knew i was going to hate this this book as soon as i found out that he was citing stuff from skinwalker ranch because that's all just a big scam okay but there were literally hundreds of other cases in that book that you could have looked at well here's you know? here's here's the meta of that right Skinwalker Ranch mm -hmm. could still be a big scam and still have paranormal activity. Uh -oh. exactly. That's the, that's the yeah. meta on that. Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. <laughs> you know, I mean, there could there could be an element of well, you see this in poltergeist cases too. There could be an element of uh, fraud happening yeah. in the case, but there's still a poltergeist. There's still activity. Well, in film. <clears throat> Infield was a good um a good example of that because the yeah. girls actually admitted to faking some of that. Yeah, yeah. You know. But what it did yeah, was yeah. like it primed the pump to where actual activity would start to like pop off. Yeah. Like they had to get it started essentially. Right. You know, you you throw something down on the floor and all of a sudden everything goes bat crap crazy. You know? Right. And you know, whether it's Enfield or the Black Monk case that I cite pretty, you know, extensively in the book or whatever, um, you know, there there is often in these cases an element of, you know, somebody helping things along. But then you have cases like um, Olive Hill, which is another one I talk about. William Rolls, very well-known parapsychologist, actually yep. was walking into the kitchen with um, – you know, was actually walking into the kitchen with this kid who was the focus of this activity and watched the table in the dining room flip itself up and land on top of the, the, the dining room chairs. I mean, that just, you know, there was no explaining that one. You know, it, it's not like the kid could have run over there and flipped the table and then run back while he wasn't looking uh, or that the kid had the strength to do that. So, yeah. But anyway, I, I I started doing research on the poltergeist stuff, and you know, then I had to balance it out with the Sasquatch stuff, and it just you know, it was a lot, and you know, I I really like I said tried to keep it as concise as I could, without um, you know, while still providing enough information and bibliographical information and that kind of stuff to get people going. Uh, which is really my purpose is it's like, I, I want people to look at things at my books and say, Oh, I find this really interesting. And then be able to go to the bibliography and look books up and say, Oh, well, here's some other stuff I can read, which will lead them to other stuff that they can read, which you yeah. know, it's neither here nor there. So, but anywho, um, you know, it got, it, it got really interesting really quick. And I, I really had no idea. I mean, I did have an idea of the depth of psychical research, but after doing the research for this book, I've, I've come to a whole new uh, respect for those folks. Sure. Yeah. You because know, they're, just, yeah, I mean, you know, it takes a certain amount of um, intestinal fortitude, I guess, to walk into a situation where there's just, all kinds of crazy things going on, whether it's, 
you know, things flying through the air or the crockery shattering in the house or, you know, wraps and bangs or, you know, people being pinned under furniture or furniture, heavy furniture moving around. Uh, you know, it, it's it, it's potentially dangerous, you know, and, and oh, in yeah. at least one of the cases that I, you know, and at least one of the cases that I cite in the book, you know, a photographer who was in taking pictures actually got dinged in the head with a Lego. Um which left a bruise that was evident, you know, a week later. So, um, you know, it, it doesn't seem like people end up getting seriously injured in these events, but the potential is there because um, there's there's a lot of power flying around in these in these uh, in these incidents, um, and all it takes is uh, you know is a matter of somebody stepping into the wrong path at the wrong time, and you know it could it could turn nasty real quick. Because right, these are the most physical of yep. oh yeah. yeah 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 well, I mean you know there's a certain amount of physical activity in a lot of hauntings you know um, and and I cite some of that stuff in the book too but you know it, it's really um, the poltergeist takes it to whole 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 new level so <laughs> I guess we should probably back up and talk about. You know, that's a good start, though. Yeah, think, well, uh, let's let's get started. Um, we already know each other okay. and, and yeah, uh, yeah. You know, hit it off pretty well. Oh, yeah. so. guys. Uh, by the way, good to see you guys. Yeah, <laughs> good to see you How's too. Um, you know, just to let everybody know, welcome, Conspiracy Normal. We're we're back after a little hiatus over the holidays, and uh, hope you all have a good one. Before, and uh, we have the first guest of the year, which is uh, W.T. Watson, also known as Travis Watson. And we are just sitting here talking about Poltergeist, which is something we're going to be talking about tonight because he has a new book out called The Forest Poltergeist. And yeah, I think where I really want to start, uh, Travis, is your motivation to write this particular book. Like what made you want to write a book about The Forest Poltergeist, which is an intriguing, um, an intriguing idea. I had just finished um, Sasquatch Canada. And uh, which, by the way, has been my best-selling book, um, uh, according to you know all the all the all the stuff. You know, I, I mean, I'm not going to retire or anything, but uh, it, it's done fairly well. And um, has it sold better in Canada than as opposed to the United States, or is it? I, I can't tell. I can't tell. Can't from tell the, that. Yeah. From the uh, from the reports that I get, um, you know, I, I just can tell that overall, it's it's gotten more sales, more page reads, and all that kind of stuff than, than any of my other books. But it seems to, that uh, my other books are coattailing off of that, which is very nice. And, uh, you know, other people, people are discovering some of my other work, which makes me happy. Uh, because, I mean, you don't write books unless you want people to read them, right? <laughs> so I had just gotten done uh, with Sasquatch Canada. Um, and I had played that book very um you know here's the evidence for sasquatches you know people seeing sasquatches in canada um you know i had, had decided not to include british columbia because it's such a hotbed of activity you could write a whole book right up you know just about british columbian sasquatch right and i'm sure somebody has um i wanted to see if there were uh if there was evidence of these entities, whatever they are, um, in the other provinces in Canada. And 
during the course of my research, I discovered that yes, indeed, there were. Uh, I found Sasquatch reports in, in every province in Canada, except none of it. Um, and that may simply be because there just aren't a whole lot of people in none of it. Um, and, uh, the vast majority of them are indigenous people and they may or may not be willing to discuss their sightings if they've had them. But everywhere else, um, there, there are Sasquatch reports in Canada. Um, so I focused in Sasquatch Canada on what the BFRO calls a class A report. Um, in other words, you know, some guys walking through the woods or some person is walking through the woods, or, you know, they're driving down the road or whatever. And they see a Sasquatch. Right. Um, it's a class A sighting. There's a visual sighting of a creature. But if you go into BFRO and other databases online, um, there's there's a good one out of Alberta um, in, on the Canadian side. There are also a lot of reports of disturbances in the forest that are credited to Sasquatch. People assume that because certain things happen, um, in the woods, there's a Sasquatch nearby. Um, and, you know, people who've watched the shows or whatever are probably very aware of this. Things like wood knocks, uh, stone throwing, uh, vocalizations, tracks, nests. Um, and I'm sure I'm forgetting something in there. But um, so there's there's all of this sort of, of uh, disturbance out in the woods. But there's no actual sighting of a Sasquatch. Um, and BFRO refers to these as Class B encounters. Um, they take it as being evidentiary that there was a Sasquatch somewhere in the area, but nobody saw it. Well, I mean, you guys both know Soraya uh, from Where Did the Road Go? And you know, he's, posited, he's posited on any number of occasions that if you took all the stuff that people are crediting to Sasquatch in the woods and you put it in a house, you'd have a poltergeist case. And that idea stuck with me. And uh, after conferring with you know, several people and making sure that they were not writing a book of their own, um, I went ahead and, and started work on the forest poltergeist, which is about class B encounters, those, those, uh, encounters that people have in the forest where they don't actually see a Sasquatch, see a creature, but there is a disturbance in the woods. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I started to look at that and I started to look at the idea of poltergeist. And then I took the two and put them together and found that, you know, that it's absolutely the case that we could explain these disturbances in the woods where nobody sees anything uh, as, as some form of, of force, which we'll call a poltergeist for want of a better word, uh, operant out in the woods. Um, because you can take every single one of the things that people assign to, uh, to be evidence of Sasquatch in the woods and find a, a, an activity in the poltergeist lore that is the same, similar, if not absolutely the same. Woodknocks being a great example. Um, you know, almost every uh, poltergeist case that you investigate, that you look at, 
has some kind of rapping, knocking, uh, thumping, uh, some kind of something inside the house, which if you take it and you translate it out into the woods, it becomes wood knocks very easily. Um, so, you know, over the course of doing the research and looking at all these poltergeist cases, the more I read about poltergeist cases, and that is a very deep well with a lot of rabbit holes in it. Um, but the more I read about poltergeist cases in, uh, in, in the psychical literature, the more I realized that, uh, you know, you don't have to posit a, a, a bipedal primate wandering around in the woods to explain a lot of this class B encounter stuff that's happening. I believe the way Soraya looks at it, because I've been listening to the show for a while now, and like the idea that he kind of came up with is that if if it's in a house, they're going to call it a poltergeist. If it's right. in a forest, it's Bigfoot. We're going to so call it a like, Bigfoot. But, not, yeah. but, but the phenomenon kind of acts the same, and it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. We're just doing. We're just using two different words for the same phenomenon, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and I would I would agree with him there. Now I have said over and over again because I know that that I'm going to get somebody's uh, you know knickers in a twist. I've said over and over again that I don't have any problem believing that there might be an actual bipedal giant bipedal primate wandering around in the wilderness. Um, if you live in Canada, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of miles of, of square miles of, of, you know, boreal forests and other environments oh, that would be, you know, perfect, perfect phenomena for, or perfect uh, ecosystem for a large creature of that kind. And you in, know, your book, and so in, your, in your so book, in your book, I'm not, go sorry. ahead. Well, you deliberately excluded British Columbia just because of the sheer amount of cases. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm not. You know, I want to make it clear to people that I'm not just. I'm, I'm not saying that. Oh well, you know, the Sasquatch, these, these giant apes don't exist at all. You know, it's all about poltergeist. What I am saying though is that if you look at uh, all the Class A sightings, just the Class A sightings, just the where people have seen creatures they're being seen in every state in the united states and every province in canada except for maybe none of it they're everywhere it's like so if this creature is so rare that it's hard to find why is it that people are seeing these things everywhere you know the only place that i know of that, that doesn't have sightings is is hawaii and they have something that might be a, like a little foot um, in their in their uh, their spirit lore. I think it's called the Minehuna or Minehune, something like that. Right. Yeah, but, that's right. So, so if, on the one hand, you have Sasquatch researchers saying, oh, well, this is a very rare bipedal primate that lives in, you know, the wilderness. And then on the other hand, we have people seeing these things everywhere. So, something's got to give here you know there has to be something more operant um in this mystery to explain all the sightings and especially to explain all of the class b encounters that people are having out in the woods and and i think this is where uh you know the idea of something like the forest poltergeist comes in um 
because not only you know is it a possibility that you know this this force this energy this entity or whatever you want to call it is producing uh these effects out in the woods but it may actually be producing some of the sightings too i talk a little bit in the book about apparitions um and most people when you you talk about apparitions they're they're their mindset is, oh, you know, the spooky graveyard and the misty figure walking through it or, you know, the haunted house with the, the misty woman in white or whatever wandering through. If you look at books like Terrell's uh, massive tome on, on apparitions, uh, I can't remember his full name, TMN Terrell or Terrell or something like that. Um, but he, he wrote the book on apparitions and that's what it's called, apparitions. Yeah, the I'm majority, with that book. yeah. The majority of people in, in or a lot of the people in that book, when they saw an apparition, thought they were seeing an actual person. Right. Uh, you, you wake up and there's somebody standing at the foot of the bed. It's very you know? solid and, looking. And, and these things were so real that they actually cast shadows, a mm -hmm. lot of some of them. Um so it's entirely possible that, you know, our, our force, our force poltergeist, our, our, our energy or whatever it is that's operating out in the woods is, is producing apparitions and images, you know, imitating yeah. maybe something that exists already uh, or that existed in the past or whatever. It's an interesting concept there. Well, you're kind of dealing with like two unknowns, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um you know, things that like for, for science isn't necessarily proven either way. Poltergeist being one of them, ghosts, and the second right. one being Bigfoot. Is there some overarching intelligence that maybe knows that, that Bigfoot is actually out there and then appears as a Bigfoot, essentially? I mean, yeah. I think that's essentially kind of what what you're saying, which I know, you know, we, you, we've talked about your animistic beliefs and that might, you know, go uh, into that a little bit, you know. You know, every culture, you know, all, all of your, your indigenous cultures have some form of trickster, um, you know, which is all the time messing with people, <laughs> messing with human beings, messing with, with, you know, other spirit beings and so forth. Um, but we don't even have to go that far. I mean, I, I personally, I mean, one of the, the thought pieces in the book is what if there is an energy that you know either understands that there is a an actual sasquatch that lives in the deep forests of you know the united states and canada and uses that model as one of its ways of getting people's goats you know i mean just you know having sure. a sasquatch appear wherever and and you know raising cane you know you get a reaction of some kind out of people when they see a Sasquatch, right? It's I, like, I think it would explain, I think it would explain some of the sightings that you would see in the more populated Eastern parts. Mm -hmm. Um, or, I mean, I or places it, like San Antonio, Texas. Right. I mean, right. I mean, there's a whole, there's actually a group that's investigating Sasquatch sightings in that area. Yeah, and, and again, that's not what you would I think. Never ever say that a witness yeah. isn't telling the truth, but that's just not a place that a giant bipedal primate would live. Yeah. Um, you yeah, know, I right. grew up in San Antonio. I know that area really right. well. There's no place to hide for an animal that size. 
it, I couldn't it's, it's see scary. I couldn't see that happening here in Tennessee. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know, so you know, but again, like you know, witnesses tell tell us that they're seeing these things. Mm -hmm. They're seeing something. I don't know what it is. You know, it may be Sasquatch lives in caves in San Antonio somewhere. I I don't know. But I find it far more likely that there's something more paranormal going on in places like that than an actual bipedal primate. Now, if you told me that you saw a Sasquatch and you were in Northern Ontario somewhere, I'd be like, okay, I, yeah, I could buy sure. that. I mean, yeah, not many we can people. lose bison right. out here for, yeah. for decades. You know, it, it's like, I could see a giant ape living out there right. too. Right. So wouldn't most but, um, Sasquatch sightings also be, like uh, thought of as fleeting, not as, you know, some kind of prolonged visual confirmation. I know some people have longer experiences, but um, as far as the hierarchy of, of evidence, you know, visual confirmation, we know just psychologically, you know, you can mm -hmm. think you see things that you necessarily don't, or your mind fills in the gaps and heuristics and things like that. But these uh, the the B type evidence are a lot of things that can be recorded or evidence that actually remains there to be looked at and possibly studied. Yeah, the interesting thing. So to to back up and, and talk about the A type site, I there certainly are a significant number of Class A sightings that are you know I was driving down the road and I passed a Sasquatch as I was driving down the road and by the time I turned around it was gone. Um, on the other hand, though, you have any number of sightings of, uh, you know, by hunters um, out in the woods. I'm, and I'm thinking Canada again, because that's kind of my yeah. place where I've done most of my research. Any number of sightings by hunters out in the woods who've, you know, you know, had pretty good visuals, actually had uh, scope sightings of, of these creatures. Um, so, you know, I don't think that we can, you know, yes, I'm sure that a a number, and, and I won't say a significant number, but some percentage of, of Class A sightings are misidentified animals, um, shadows that moved in a way that, uh, that you know, caused pareidolia and it caused people to see images. You know, the human brain is designed to find patterns. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when it's presented with something that it doesn't necessarily recognize, um, it forms its own pattern um, and, and people may, and I think that that's probably contingent on what you've got in your head and, you know, what you have available to, uh, to actually create a pattern with. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there certainly are some misidentifications, you know, there's some, some folks that just got excited because they heard, they saw a, a bear or whatever, uh, those kinds of things. But then there are, you know, sightings by very credible witnesses with, you know, ex pretty extensive observational training uh, that have taken place, you know, at fairly good, you know, fairly close ranges and so forth, where, you know, you really have to believe that this person saw something unusual um, because they wouldn't be reporting it otherwise because <laughs> um, it could actually be dangerous to their careers. On the other hand, when you start talking about the class B stuff, you get into a paradox because yes, um, you have things that can be recorded, footprints, 
footprints classic example. Everybody says, this is proof that Sasquatch exists. I hate to tell you this, kids, but it's not. It is not. It is proof that something left tracks. Um, but some of those track, uh, track finds are as puzzling as, uh, you know, the existence of Sasquatch because you'll, you'll have, uh, you know, a track line that goes out into the middle of a cornfield and disappears. Yeah. Or, you know, any of the, or, or you have a single track. Why would you just have one? You know, there's a single track found somewhere. Yeah. Again, though, there are track ways. But what I point out in the book when I start talking about tracks is, you know, when you go into the poltergeist lore uh, or even uh, Fordian lore, there are any number of instances where uh, these phenomena have left tracks of varying kinds, whether it's hoof prints. Uh, there's a, a famous case, Fordian case of, uh, you know, line of, of hoof type prints that were stomped all across. I think it was the, the uh, Devon County in England uh, back yep. in the, the 1800s. Um, the devil's footprints. The devil's footprints. Yeah. Yep. Um, very, you know, very well known Fordian case that, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, there's, you know, everybody's, oh, it's paranormal. And then there's the, the, the materialists who are all like, oh, it was a mouse or a kangaroo or something. You know? I think the best um, explanation I've heard for that was that it was some kind of weather measuring, like Victorian era measuring device that was a balloon. And it had some kind of, <laughs> it had some kind of piece of metal on it, like a key or something, some kind of piece of metal. And it would it would daub along, and it would leave the marks with the key, and then the wind would pick it up. It would, of course, you know, blow out, and then the wind would go down and come back down, and the key would daub around a little bit. That's my favorite um, explanation for it. That's that's kind of interesting. <laughs> because, <laughs> well, that's you know, one of those cases where the explanation seems sillier than the actual, even thing. weirder than the actual. These these hoof prints or these these footprints or whatever you want to call them um, actually, you know, would go up to a house and then go up to the roof and go across the roof and then down and, and on their way. Yeah. There's one instance where the, the, the prints were recorded going to a pipe and then uh, on the other side of the pipe taking up the, uh, you know, taking up where they left off and then it just kept going. I find it hard to believe that a balloon that was being blown around by the wind would have that much control. But, you know, it's one of those cases where the explanation is weirder right. than the actual right. event. Yeah, yeah. It's not a great but, explanation. You know, there's one example of, of footprints in the in the Black Monk case that, that I cite pretty extensively in the book. Um there was all kinds of wild stuff happening in this house. But one of the things that, uh, that was seen a lot uh, were puddles of water uh, that would form spontaneously. It was so bad that they actually called the, the, the local uh, maintenance people uh, and, and had them look at the house. They turned the water off and did all of this stuff and tried to find leaks in the pipes and couldn't find anything. But, 
um, as that case was starting to wind down, uh, the mother came downstairs one day and uh, there was a runner that went out to the front door, a carpet runner, and it was soaked. Uh, It was just absolutely soaking wet. And as she's standing there, she's watching as footprints appeared in this thing uh, going up toward the door. (laughs) So again, there's an instance of a poltergeist leaving tracks. One of the classic uh, uh, methods of ghost hunting back in the day before we had EMF meters and all this other fun stuff is, you know, if, if it was believed that a certain area was haunted, is the, the, the ghost hunters back in those days would put down a layer of, uh, of flour. Yep. Or talcum powder um, or something like see, that. Yeah. yeah, or talcum powder or something like that. Mm-hmm. Come back to see if, uh, you know, if tracks manifested, you know, during the night. And sometimes they did. Uh, yeah. I cited a case from Hans Holzer uh, in the book where uh, these folks had had uh, continuing, uh, you know, another one of the things that you see in Class B encounters a lot is this this talk of people hearing bipedal footsteps. These folks had had bipedal footsteps upstairs. They they had two kinds of, of, of bipedal footsteps walking around in their house. It's one sounded like an adult clumping around upstairs. The other one sounded, the other sounded like what they described as small children running around. Yep. Mm-hmm. This, this haunting had gone on for some time and the mother finally decided that she wanted to see if there was some proof of this, did the flower thing in one of the bedrooms and came back to find little footprints. Um, all in in the flower. That's a technique and, that's still used. Um, they yeah, still do even this idea. Yeah, even this idea. I think it's a great idea. You know, yeah, sure. What else? Whatever. <laughs> um, but even this idea that you know, oh well, you know, Sasquatch leaves these giant prints, and we know, and you know, there's you know, you've got Jeff Meldrum with all the 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 stuff about uh, you know bipedal locomotion and all that stuff. The fact is that a lot of the prints that, that people find out there are atypical. Yeah. A primate is supposed to have five toes. And any number of, of these uh, mysterious footprints are have three toes and some of them have six toes. And yeah, I mean, you know, a three-toed primate is not something that's supposed to happen. Um, but if you posited that it was a more uh paranormal for one of a better word uh energy then it can have however many toes at once because it's not necessarily corporeal it's just able to to produce these these effects right so you know i mean in tracks tracks are just one of, of many things that i talk about in the book i talk about vocalizations and how you know everybody's uh, you know all all hep to the sierra sounds right and all these wild noises that that were recorded, um, you know, and, and some of that stuff. I again, it was a, it, you know, it, it was a wilderness area, not heavily populated with a lot of people. There may have been Sasquatches out there, you know, doing samurai chatter or whatever. All this other, uh, all these other vocalization things. But the presence of vocalizations in an area doesn't necessarily. Uh, definitely point to Sasquatch because if you go to your poltergeist lore again, you find out that poltergeists are, are excellent mimics. Um, 
there's there's reports of uh, poltergeists making barn animal sounds you know in the uh uh, uh making well okay so there are barn animal sounds we've had reports of apparitions screaming um like really loudly enough to you know set somebody back on their heels um, right so again you know we have poltergeists making all kinds of different uh vocalizations so to speak um i mean i don't know that poltergeists have vocal cords but they're making sounds they're making really loud sounds sometimes um in in a in a association with all of these raps and bangs and you know all this other fun stuff people cite the uh the idea of sasquatches uh throwing stones you know everybody's like well bears don't throw rocks and that's true that's very true. And it may be that in some of these rock throwing incidents, there was a Sasquatch around, you know, that there may be a, a bipedal primate running around throwing stones at people. Don't know. What I do know is that some of the experts on poltergeists, uh, people like uh, Playfair and, and uh, Colin Wilson, cite stone throwing as one of the classic signs of poltergeist activity. Yes, it uh, is. Playfair. Yeah. Playfair in, Playfair in one of his books cites a, a case where a young lady uh, was the focus of poltergeist activity in a home. And, uh, you know, they tried to have her exercised and that didn't work. Um, so the local spiritist, who happened to be a dentist, offered to take her into his home. Um, and at, at after he did this, his house was bombarded with stones. I mean, literally, he, he kept count of the number of stones that actually hit his home. And it was, it was well over 200 stones. Right. Um, so poltergeists love to throw rocks, um, you know, and in, you know, other cases that, that are cited in the book, we have Legos flying around, we have marbles flying around, we have all kinds of interesting, you know, projectiles flying through people's homes. Um, so the idea of, of, you know, that energy, uh, actually focusing out in, in the wilderness and producing, um, producing, you know, stone throwing is, is not, not only that, not only do we have, you know, testimony of, of things flying through the air um, in poltergeist cases, but we also have testimony of apports in poltergeist cases where things just appear and fall out of the sky. Um, so, <laughs> Um, you could also have a situation where people are just having stones falling out of the sky on them um, and mistaking it for a stone being thrown at them. Um, so, I mean, again, as I said, you know, the deeper I got into the poltergeist lore, the more I realized that that stuff and the stuff that's being described in Class B encounters, there's just so much similarity there that you can't ignore it. It's interesting. I mean, I, I've heard the the stones thing. I, I wonder if because I was going to bring up the apports, uh, the apport idea, and whether or not because like the Legos and these type of things, these are things that are already there in the environment, and it's just the the poltergeist is just manipulating this, whatever a poltergeist is, which we can kind of talk about that. But, yeah. but um, there is, um, you know, the stone seems like it's just coming out of nowhere. 
Mm-hmm. And as you were talking, I'm kind of, you know, reminiscent, reminiscent about the rains of stones and rains of frogs and these other odd Fortianas oh, yes. type things. Yeah, yeah. The ones that um, meteorologists were always trying to explain right. is a tornado came along and picked this stuff up and then dropped it on oh, yeah, some, cyclone, na- some yeah. other neighborhood, right? It's like, yeah. oh, wow, that was a selective tornado. <laughs> right. it only just, picked one kind of frog. You know, it just or picked one up these frogs. Yeah. yeah. Or fish, but, um, or whatever it is. Yeah. I wonder about um, is this stuff just being transported from somewhere else? You know, obviously, when you're in a woods type setting, there's going to be stones and things around, and you oh, do do a good job of, of like yeah. pointing out. You do a good job of pointing out that also, you know, that is kind of like primate behavior of throwing stones mm-hmm. and these type of things. So it's not exactly. That it could be a forest poltergeist, but but that is a very classic poltergeist phenomenon of stone throwing yeah. and things coming out of nowhere, literally nowhere. Now the Bell Witch, yeah. which um, I think you might have mentioned it a couple of times, but the Bell Witch is a little weird because it's 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 there's so much folklore around it, but in right. that case, <laughs> you've got. Um, you definitely have those same kind of apports and things coming out of nowhere. Supposedly, oh, yeah. she get like fruit from the West Indies and these type of things. So, um, but the same thing, the manifestation of the voice, moving things around, um, cracks, those type of things, wraps and crap. You know, and and you do also point out in the book that this is how the spiritualism movement gets started, basically from a poltergeist, oh, yeah. from the yeah. knockings, yeah, um, yeah. at the Fox Sisters. So, so Bell Witch is, is, you know, I don't claim to be an expert on the Bell Witch case, but one, one of the things that I talk about in, in the, the track section is, again, the Bell Witch is supposed to have left tracks for the younger, uh, younger Bell son um, right. after right. father died. Um, right. Again, left tracks in the snow. Um, something did that. <laughs> you know, we don't know what it was, but something did that. The so, interesting yeah. thing about Bell Witch too is that initially some things start manifestation as animals. Yes, mm-hmm. specifically a dog, I think, or a wolf, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, it's very much the case though that if you start to look at these cases, that you realize that it absolutely could be an, an unknown force or entity or whatever opera, operating in the woods. Because, you know, just as easily as it could be a, a giant bipedal primate. Well, you know, the other thing that I talk about is the whole uh, the whole nesting thing. Um, yeah, you know, I was going to ask people you about that. Yeah. saying, okay, we're you know we're finding these or structures. You know, we're finding right. these structures in the woods. One of the things that you see in poltergeist cases is that poltergeists love to rearrange their environment. Mm-hmm. Just absolutely. Now, sometimes that's most of the time that's very destructive. You know, they're they're breaking glass and shattering crockery and doing all that kinds of things. But like I said, there's the one case in Olive Hill where William Roll saw this poltergeist actually take the the uh, the dining room table, flip it upside down, and set it very carefully on top of the chairs so that it was it was positioned just just so. Um, I talk about a poltergeist case, I think it was from Colin Wilson's book, where um, the poltergeist delighted in uh, making tableaus 
who would take the clothes and, and various things that it found around the house and make uh, these these just lay them out so that you know like it represented a person praying or something like that as kind of a way of making fun of the people in the house, right? Um, you know, you have instances of poltergeists moving, you know, uh, armoires and things that weigh several hundred pounds. So this is a force that is very much capable of, you know, bending, bending tree branches and doing things with it uh, just as easily as, as a giant bipedal primate. Um, we also talk about this whole idea, you know, that people are finding, you know, in areas that are supposed to have uh, lots of, of Sasquatch activity are finding these um, nest type areas as depressions that everybody gets excited about because they're, they're thinking of gorillas, right? Um, because gorillas make these kinds of nests in, uh, you know, in, in their forest habitat as well. Then you get into, but again, you have a force that's capable of doing this kind of stuff, you know, that shows that, it, that has shown itself repeatedly to be very uh, creative, not only in destroying things, but in actually uh, you know, creating things, rearranging things, moving things around, piling furniture on top of people, um, pinning them in place, but not injuring them. Yeah, that was an um, interesting one that I that I never heard of before. Yeah. You know, so it is not a beyond the realm of possibility that a force like that could create a clearing, uh, you know, nest type clearing out in the woods. Um, you know, and then you start to think about crop circles and things like that. And you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I didn't go down that rabbit hole particularly sure, sure. I, was, I was trying to trying to stay um somewhat focused as, as i worked my way through the book well so one thing that uh, that reminds me um is you, you talk about these kind of like the signs of you know quotation signs of sasquatch presence kind of like what mm -hmm. those are um, one of those, sometimes people, when they have these sightings, they will have this like silence effect. Mm -hmm. And this is something that Jenny Randall's a UFO investigator, oh, yeah. and this is in, mm -hmm. uh, the, the UFO context that she writes this, but it's, but it's true of other encounters with other thing, other type of things. Um, this idea of the Oz, the Oz effect and these things that happen, um, before some of these class A encounters and some of these class B encounters, um, this is this is something exactly. that's that's common. Yeah, um, I I dubbed it the silence because I don't think that it has an official name, but uh, yeah, right. Uh, Jenny Randall's UFO researcher out of out of the UK um, wrote a, an article. Uh, she had had a uh, she had a witness who was, if I remember correctly, was a security guard in a factory. And he'd had a full-blown UFO encounter, right? You know, lights, you know, structured craft with lights and all this stuff outside of the place where he worked. And um, Randall's questioned the other guard who was on duty that night, and they saw absolutely nothing. Um, she actually canvassed the neighborhood because, you know, I mean, this was like a big 
you know, like you couldn't miss this kind of UFO sighting, right? Um, talked to people in the neighborhood. Nobody saw anything. What she noted in talking to the, um, to the witness was that uh, he'd had a, an experience shortly before his sighting, something going on. Uh, you know, I, I, he had a feeling something was going to happen, right? Um, and then this silence drops in. It's an unnatural silence. Everything goes quiet. It's almost like the world outside of your bubble has become muted. And we see this a lot in, in, uh, in Sasquatch encounters where people talk about how the forest suddenly became, you know, preternaturally quiet. Mm -hmm. There was no sound at all anywhere in the area. Um, you know, and part of that may be, you know, the presence of what, you know, I think most people would consider an apex predator, but a lot of people note that this just was not natural at all. You know, there was no sound at all coming in, you know, even from a distance. Um, so you have the, um, uh, the feeling that something's going to happen. You have this silence that, that descends on people. And then you have some kind of a time distortion. Um, and that can be either uh, the witness felt like a long time had passed, and then they looked at their watch and it was five minutes, or vice versa. You know, they thought that only a few minutes had passed, and they look at their watch and it's been two hours. Missing um, time, there's some yeah. kind of, there's some, and it's not right. even so much missing time, it's, it's time is distorted. Yeah. Now, you can have missing time in there as well, yes. Um, you could have been standing there for two hours, you know. Yeah, you could have been standing there for two hours. Right. Um, but, you know, there's that idea of time distortion. But I talk about, yeah, um, in the silences and, and that feeling of something going on, this kind of Oz effect that Randall talks about is something that you see in Sasquatch encounters. It's also something that, you know, whether it's a Class A or Class B type encounter, and it's also something that you see sometimes in poltergeist activity where the people who live in the house know that something's about to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes too, you get that silence effect where, you know, everything suddenly gets quiet and then all hell breaks loose, you know, and things start flying around and, and, and all that sort of thing. So, so again, this makes you think, you know, when you're comparing Sasquatch and paranormal or the poltergeist kind of phenomena, this makes you think, that there's something more going on than just a large bipedal ape. Um, because you get, you do have instances of people reporting this Oz type effect in both circumstances. Yeah. And then, you know, you see it in, in all kinds of other, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that, that if I were to research, you know, dog man cases, you'd have a certain percentage of those that were preceded by Oz type effects, you know, any of the monster type stuff. Um, UFO encounters, obviously, because that's what Randall Randall's was basing her stuff on. Um, you know, uh, people have these strange encounters, shadow people, that kind of stuff. People have these strange encounters, and it seems to be presaged by this uh, this weirdness that that happens immediately before or during uh, during the event, um, and. I don't think we can ignore this and just say, oh, well, you know, that's neither here nor there. There's obviously a giant ape there and it's, it's creating all of this effect by uh, infrasound. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was wanting to ask you how you <laughs> felt about the infrasound idea. <laughs> well, okay. So, yes, it is true that, um, for instance, tigers are a- yeah. able to uh, produce these low frequency sounds. And this seems to have an effect on freezing their prey and, you know, making them. I think house cats can do that. Yeah. As well. Um, it's also true that elephants can communicate over yeah. long, long distances using these ultra low frequency um, uh, things. So infrasound is a thing. It's also true that the United States military has been trying for some time to figure out how to use this as a weapon because in certain instances at certain frequencies, uh, these low frequency sounds will cause um, sort of panic reactions. Right. right? Um, so I don't, again, uh, discount the idea of infrasound be having a place in um, some of the Sasquatch encounters and some of the things that people experience during Sasquatch encounters. For instance, well, very frequently the case that people have a, a, a not frequently. I don't know how frequently, but it's it, it is the case that some people have a, kind of an extreme terror reaction to seeing one of these creatures. Now, I mean, honestly, if I ran across an eight or ten foot tall, you know, bipedal primate in the woods, I think I'd probably freak out a little bit too. <laughs> you know? well, I mean, the- you know, it's not something you expect to see. It's not something that's supposed to exist. I mean, you have every reason to be scared because these things are, you know, from all accounts, you know, people who've seen these things, they are freaking huge, you know, and they are, you know, you know, they're, they are so powerful and powerful looking that, you know, it becomes very evident to, to any puny human that's looking at one of these things that it could, you know, snap you in half and, and, you know, and carry the parts off in, in each hand. Um, they're, they're very large creatures, um, according to almost all witness statements, right? Um, so I don't know that we need to explain the extreme terror reaction with, you know, infrasound. It could be. It, it could be. Um, well, if Bigfoot Sasquatch is somewhere on the human primate evolutionary tree, to my knowledge, I don't think there's any other primates that would that use that infrasound yeah yeah and that's that's the the, the counter argument right there is I, i'm not aware of a, of a primate that uses uses infrasound for yeah. hunting communication or anything else about as close as you come is is gorillas using the the deep thumping for communication right, right. across some distance uh of thumping on their chest and so forth and chimpanzees pound the ground uh, yeah. to, to do that as well. And I think gorillas do too. Um, so infrasound, yeah, possibility. Um, the problem is that, you know, again, and, and this is something that, uh, you know, some of our, you know, the people that we've talked about in the past have mentioned is, you know, the, the, the materialist researchers on Sasquatch are so intent on proving that this is an animal that they've given it evolutionary advantages that you just it, it it's might you might as well have might as well say that that Sasquatch is an Avenger, right? Yeah. yeah. It's on the verge Terrible. of supernatural. 
Yeah, apparently this creature is, is this huge creature, this eight, eight foot tall, several hundred pound ape is capable of, you know, almost disappearing into the forest, you know, just blending into the forest, you know, without any difficulty whatsoever. It's able to move silently when it desires to, you know, um, you know, it has infrasound so that it can befuddle your mind and disappear. Uh, you know, you get all of this stuff and it's like, okay, why don't we just say that it's a paranormal creature? Because it sounds like it, you know, it sounds yeah. like it has superpowers. Right, right, you know? right. They're trying, to, they're, they're trying to fit it into well, yeah, I mean, the mater a materialist to kind of box. To fit it into, you know, biological reality. And, and I respect yeah. that. Respect the hell out of the people that go out in the woods and look for this thing. They spend a lot of time and effort and money and uh, you know and, and uh, you know blood, sweat, and tears uh, out there, you know, trying to prove the existence of this creature. I have nothing but respect for those guys and women, just to be you know equality and, and everything. Um, so, but you know, so many of them are just, you know, it's we're trying to prove there's a new species out there, and they're not willing to look at, uh, they're not willing to step out of the uh, the Sasquatch research silo and look at the mysteries um, overall. And this is one of the points that I make in the book. It's like the you know. There is a definite silo effect in the paranormal. You know, you have Sasquatch researchers who think that everybody who researches other stuff like ghosts and UFOs is nuts. You have the UFO researchers who are, you know, you know, this is their thing. There are things in the sky and there are aliens and there's all this stuff. You know, <laughs> right. ghost hunters. You have the ghost hunter. Yeah, I don't even want to get into that one. You have the ghost. You don't want to hear my opinion about aliens. But um, you have ghost hunters who are like, okay, there are ghosts and there's hauntings and there's all this stuff. And we don't care about any of this other stuff. It's not until you take a 40 in perspective and you look at all of this weird crap, you know, whether right. it's Sasquatch or, or UFOs or, you know, rains of blood and flesh from the sky. Um you know, until you get into that 40 in perspective and you look at all of this strange stuff put together that you can say, oh, wait, this stuff is kind of like this stuff. Gosh, I wonder if there could be some kind of a, a connection there. If we're dealing you know? with an overarching phenomenon that we just um, interpret we just as separate things. Well. Yeah, and this is one of the things that I've discussed with Soraya, you know, uh, amongst many other things. If you've ever listened to one of our rambling uh, episodes, you know, we, we always end up, we almost always end up doing two parts because we get going on something. But one of the things that we talk about is, is that that idea that um, the human brain has a storehouse of images and you encounter an energy, let's call it an energy out in the woods. And your brain is trying to figure out what the hell this is. And sure. it's going to pull up 
whatever image it can to try and put a form to whatever this energy is that you've you've um, you've encountered. Mm -hmm. So you know, a good example of this. You know, I didn't put a form to it, but I, I've talked about this in in in, in other interviews. Excuse me. Um, I was hiking in in uh, in Arizona in the Superstition Wilderness, which is kind of a high strangeness kind of place. Anyway, oh, yeah. I never I, I never had anything super weird happen to me there, but I have um, been hiking in that area and uh, walked into a, a into the mouth of a little arroyo or a canyon type thing. And I got about two steps into this thing, and in my perception, it suddenly got much darker. You know, this is Arizona, full daylight in you know desert. It you know it doesn't get dark. <laughs> there is no dark because there are no clouds. <laughs> suddenly, in my perception, it gets much darker, and you know, and I have that feeling of okay. I don't belong here. I should not be here. This is not a good place for, for peoples to be. Um, and being aligned more in the animistic idea of, uh, you know, every, everything's places having spirits. I was like, well, whatever this is, it doesn't want me here. So I backed up the two steps. And as soon as I was outside of this canyon, the sunlight came back everything returned to normal. Um, and there was a slight, I didn't have the full blown silence effect, but it did get quieter as I walked into this thing. And I imagine that if I had walked farther back in there, I probably would have gotten into a full blown Oz effect kind of, of experience. Um, but I was like, nope. Ended sorry. up in one of David Politis's. Sorry to, sorry to disturb you. Now my mind didn't try to form an image there. But I could see where someone could, you know, walk into that same situation and see a monster. Sure. You know, because their brain was trying to make sense of what was going on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when we, when we step outside of the silos and get into the more Fortean viewpoint of things, you know, it, it opens possibilities out almost endlessly. And, and that's kind of what I talk about in the second half of the book where I propose, you know, a number of different ways that uh, this whole forest poltergeist thing could work ranging from, uh, you know, strictly human abilities, that whole uh, RSPK thing that, uh, that the parapsychologists talk about. It's random spontaneous yeah. psychokinesis, um, which they use as a kind of a quote unquote explanation of the poltergeist phenomena. Right. Um, Whereas this Bigfoot phenomenon doesn't have that kind of thing often attributed to it, but it does have this convenient material explanation that's super creative that regular poltergeist phenomenon doesn't have. Like right. with the RSPK stuff, uh, the only other ones are like whether it's nat there's natural phenomena or a hoax. Uh, but right. Bigfoot has a super creative materialist thing to explain all right. this stuff, whereas poltergeist doesn't. Yeah. So, but if you, if you take this and spin, spin it around on its head a little bit, you know, the parapsychologists have theorized 
that certain people, um, usually very repressed people, people who aren't expressing their emotions for whatever reason, sometimes prepubescent, but not all the time. That's that's kind of a, a, a myth that, that people have been led to believe because there have been focuses of poltergeist activities who were in their 20s and, and older. Um, but this person is typically repressed, unable to express their emotions, and they have what Lloyd Auerbach refers to as a psychic temper tantrum. Um, which is what produces, you know, according to the parapsychologists, produces this poltergeist activity. Now, think about this for just a minute. If you take this out in the wilderness, okay, uh, and I use the example of, you know, some hikers who are having relationship problems, but I also use the example of somebody who's filming a television show uh, about Bigfoot. Yeah, they need... They need something to happen, right? Um, they need, you know, for, for some kind of activity to manifest in order to keep their show going, right? I mean, that's just, that's the nature of the beast. Um, so there's a certain level of frustration maybe if, uh, you know, if, if nothing's going on in the woods that night. I could see where you might have somebody in that group of people who manifests this RSPK and and produces some kind of results that they can they can go off and chase in the woods. Because you notice that these things happen. They'll get bangs. They'll get howls. They'll get uh, you know rock clacks or th stones thrown at them or whatever. And then you know they go running off in the woods with their their cameras and, and all this stuff, right? And they're they're pounding around out there, and and you know the rest of the night is quiet, um, because they had that one spontaneous event. Could just as easily be an RSPK outbreak as it as as you know a big hairy guy wandering around the woods throwing stones at people. <laughs> but since you have a nice materialist, you know, it is a bipedal ape explanation, you know, people are, are you know, who are raised in the, the scientific materialist paradigm from the time they're, you know, in first grade um, are going to have an easier time believing that than thinking about, you know, again, slipping into the Fordian model and looking at all the other weird stuff out there and saying, oh, look, there might be connections from here to here. Um, <clears throat> You know, and again, you know, I'm not saying that there isn't a, a giant bipedal primate, but I'm saying that that's not all there is. There's, <laughs> you know, plenty of other things that we can can look at. Um, you know, you know, well, there was the whole film experiment thing where they actually created a ghost. Right. I was gonna. Yeah, I was gonna what ask you about that about the the tulpa. Yeah, you know, yeah. The tulpa yeah. effect where you could yeah. actually create, essentially create Bigfoot. I'll go back to this, you know, something that Timothy Renner pointed out to me. One of the places I've been to a couple of times, there's a Bigfoot museum in North Georgia, mm -hmm. uh, Expedition Bigfoot. And right. North Georgia is known for having some sightings, but uh, you have this huge, basically Tim likened it to a temple to Bigfoot, essentially. It's basically a shrine to Bigfoot. Well, sure enough, people have had encounters. People have seen Bigfoot cross the road multiple times. Now, did this happen before or did this happen? At it seems like it's happened after. 
And it's almost like that energy has created these manifestations. Well, sure. I mean, okay. So I, I, I'm kind of allergic to the Tulpa word because <laughs> gotcha. that's, that's, gotcha. a, that's a little actually, overused nowadays. Yeah. Well, not only is it overused, but it's actually a, a word that's a specific Tibetan word. You that's know, true. That is, that's true. That, that frames a particular uh, style and type of meditation that they do, which has the effect of creating what Western occultists call a thought form. Right. Um, and so I, I, I typically refer to them as thought forms, but yeah, it's very much the same thing. You know, you have John Keel telling us that, uh, that the, the fellow who wrote the, the shadow uh, radio show, his house apparently was, is haunted by a figure that looks like the shadow. Um, you have, um, I'm sorry, Alan Moore, Alan Moore yeah. who swears that he actually ran into Constantine in a coffee house in London. Yeah. You know, he saw, yeah. he said it wasn't, you know, it wasn't someone dressed like him. It was actually John Constantine. He's like, it wasn't so, Sting. It wasn't, <laughs> which he yeah. did base yeah. John Constantine off the, the way he looked mm-hmm. off of Sting, but yeah. Right. You know, you have, uh, you know, things like this whole um, uh, Slender Man phenomena where a whole bunch of people got together created this thing they've been pouring oh, yeah. energy into it for you know god knows how long scaring crap out of each other with it right and now people are starting to see it um and actually you know respond to it and think that it's communicating with them and and doing all this fun stuff you know the human mind is capable of doing a lot more than we think it's capable of um, and, uh, you know, so it's entirely possible, you know, and, and we go back to the, the Philip experiment where they actually sat in, in a sort of seance kind of thing. And they created this whole history for this being. And when it finally manifested and started rapping on tables, uh, again, wood knocks, uh, when it started rapping on tables and communicating with them, it actually started to expand its backstory. So it had taken on a mind of its own. Uh, right. So, you know, you have hundreds of thousands of people who are obsessed with Bigfoot, right? With with this whole Sasquatch phenomena. And they have a very specific idea of what this being looks like, right? So you have an image, you have desire, you know, and you have all of this energy pouring into this image. So, you know, I wouldn't be at all surprised if we haven't managed to create an apparition of a giant bipedal ape. Um, that's, you know, accounts for some of the sightings and some of the weird activity that people experience out in the woods. That's another distinct possibility. And that's not even, you know, and that's just human uh, 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 originated uh, activity. You know, when you go into uh, to fairy lore, you can get into a completely different kind of of, uh, of idea where these beings that we have had relationships with over the millennia that we have acknowledged as being a part of the spiritual ecosystem of the places that we live. Um, 
whether we're indigenous people or Celtic people or, you know, people from Russia, um, these beings uh, respond to a certain uh, set of rules, basically. And, you know, if you look at, I'm most familiar with Celtic fairy lore. Um, if you look at uh, some of the stories from Ireland, um, back in the day when, when people were still very intensely involved in the fairy faith, if you were going to build a house, um, before you built the house, uh, they would set out piles of stones. And then they would uh, put, uh, I believe they put an offering out, and then they put a smaller stone atop the, the pile of stones. And they would check it the next morning to see if any of those stones had moved. Um, and if any of those stones had moved, the idea, again, kind of a poltergeisty effect, right? Um, if any of the stones had moved, then uh, the, the fear was that the, the house was being was going to be located along a ferry path, one of the, the uh, 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 pathways that the, the fair folk took to, to move from one place to another. And uh, they would not build on that, uh, on, on that site. Um, it's also well known that um, if you did happen to have a house that was on one of these paths, um, there was frequently poltergeist-type activity happening in the house. And the only way to stop that was to either change the configuration of your house. In one story, the guy actually takes the corner off of the building, which is where the, the path is supposed to run. He consults with the local wise person, and, and they tell him what to do. He actually takes the corner off. Other times, people have had to abandon their houses completely because... Uh, this this effect, this poltergeist effect, not only was affecting them, but it was also causing their children to sicken and die. Um, so it's it's very much the case that you know if you look at these um, uh, you know at, at fairy at fairy lore um, that uh, that the fair folk are, are very much capable of not only. Uh, these sort of poltergeisty activities, but actually physically manifesting in our world um, to the point where it's said that, uh, you know, the, the people actually interbred with them. Um, so, you know, you have to have a physical form to be able to do that kind of stuff. Um, and physical forms leave tracks and do all kinds of other things. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, that the, the fair folk are, are most known for is shape-shifting. You know, taking the forms of horses and dogs and cats and oh, yeah, all kinds absolutely. of other things. Who's to say that Bigfoot isn't actually a fairy? <laughs> well, I don't. Mean, well, don't take it. It's for this, you know, logical extent. It's entirely possible that 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 Sasquatch is is a species of of fae. And Joshua Cutchin, I mean, and Tim Renner, they've definitely talked about that and the, where the footprints in books. Um, but essentially some of the native ideas about Sasquatch essentially, I mean, you could, I mean, that's essentially what Sasquatch is. Mm -hmm. It's non-corporeal. It doesn't exist. It, it comes and exists in our world for a little bit, then goes away. And I mean, that's, I mean, essentially that is, that is the fairy realm. Yeah. I mean, the, the native people, um, I, the, the, the thing that pops to my mind when I talk about this is, uh, you know, Linda Godfrey, talks about in uh, in in her books on on 
man wolf slash dog man phenomena uh she also talks a little bit about sasquatch in those books in some of those books and she talked she had had conversations with elders of the of the ho-chunk tribe in in wisconsin who told her hey look you know um the sasquatch thing is actually a being that lives in the other world the spirit world or whatever you want to call it it's capable of coming through into our our uh our realm and assuming a physical form you know so it can leave footprints and do all those things that that, that sasquatch does and then it goes back um you know and this would account for why it's so damn hard to track one down right they don't leave bodies laying around or any of that kind of stuff yeah you know? um and and i find that entirely believable um is uh, i've had conversations with people in in uh, magical occult communities who've who've had very much the same theory about some of these other things that people are seeing like dogmen um you know there are certain beings who live in the other world who have the ability to walk through and gather what what occultists call etheric substance to themselves which is the kind of the framework around which our our physical reality is built gather this substance to themselves assume a corporeal form a physical form while they're here but then as soon as they get to as they they go back they release that substance and return to non-corporeal state so i mean it's as it's as good a theory as any um and you know certainly you could call that you know the the fairy realm or the fair folk or whatever um but i think that we have to uh, acknowledge that you know and, and this is the animist in me coming out um that we live in a vast ecology of, of amongst a vast ecology of spiritual beings some of whom may be capable of doing this kind of thing and the thing that manifests as sasquatch may be one of those things um that would also account for why you know you get some of these weird reports of sasquatches just disappearing in front of people um but I, in Sasquatch Canada, I, I have a story where fellows, uh, uh, native fellow, uh, indigenous fellow, was driving down the road in um, Yellowknife uh, up in the Northwest Territories, and he saw a Sasquatch on the side of the road. Um, so, you know, he was interested. He slowed down so he could watch this thing. And as he's watching this, this creature walk along, it's, it's like a, a power line cut. He's walking this, watching this creature walk along. Suddenly, the, the Sasquatch starts to fade. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it becomes more and more insubstantial until it just finally disappears. Now, you can't explain that with infrasound. Um, you know, one no. of the theories of hearing Sasquatch <laughs> is that the Sasquatch is zapping people with infrasound and then it runs off in the woods, right? You can't explain a sighting like that with infrasound, um, you know, because he had his eye on this creature the entire time and watched it disappear. You know, and there's the famous case from Stan Gordon's books uh, where the lady thinks that she hears something out on the porch. 
scoops up her scoops up her shotgun because she's had feral dogs in the area. Walks out onto the front porch and there's a seven foot Sasquatch standing out there. It it kind of rears back like it's surprised to see her and throws its hands up right, and she blasts the thing with a shotgun and it disappears in a flash of light. Now again, that's not something a physical creature does. You know, so, you know, I think that my whole point in writing this book and talking about these things is that the set, you know, much like Tim Renner and Joshua Cutchin did with Where the Footprints End, my whole point is that there's something much stranger going on in the, in Sasquatch world than just a giant bipedal ape. That could Definitely. be part of it. That could be part of it. And I don't deny that, you know, like I said, we lost, you know, wood bison in Canada for several decades before they found them again. <laughs> you know, if you can lose the largest an land animal by weight in North America uh, for a few decades, then you can lose a Sasquatch in the Canadian woods too. Um, but I don't think that's all that's going on. There's just so much weirdness uh, around um, the whole Sasquatch phenomena with the, oh, yeah. the classic and all that stuff. I just, I don't buy that that is as the single explanation, uh, which is why I'm always saying that I'm a both and thinker because, you know, I, I'm perfectly willing to admit that there might be an ape out there, but I think there's other stuff going on as well. In this book, you even tackle the whole demon question, which I thought was interesting. Um, <laughs> Yeah, kind of going back well, to the presentation you did for us back in uh, last year. Yeah, it's not demons. <laughs> Sorry, kids, it's not demons. <laughs> what do you, um, you know, there's there's a whole, um, there's this whole culture now that's uh, embraced Bigfoot, and one of those is there's a lot of evangelical Christians that have embraced the Bigfoot stuff, but they <laughs> view Bigfoot in this, I guess, quote unquote, biblical way of saying that Bigfoot is like the nef, like he's the Nephilim in, in all this. Yeah. Maybe he showed up in Miami a few days so, ago, but you know. So I talked about briefly because, you know, again, this is not a subject of huge interest to me. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I felt like I needed to include something in the book about the whole demon thing just because it is such a common trope in, in paranormal right now. It's like, you know, something blows its nose in the woods or, you know, blows its nose in your house and it's demons, you know. Um, <laughs> and it, Well, you can really thank the you can thank Ed Lorraine Warren for that. Okay. Yeah, that. don't get me started on that one. I know some people from from the uh, from the magical world that'll give you an earful about Ed and Lorraine Warren. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> and some of the some of the questionable iffy crap that they got involved in. But anyway, um, you know, and and again, not my not my place to run somebody down. And, you know, I'm sure that there are plenty of, of fans of, of those folks out there. I just don't happen to be one of them. Um, so Nephilim, um, actually, uh, you know, 
the whole concept of Nephilim is, is based in, you know, some very short verses in Genesis. The vast majority of the information that we have about the Nephilim actually comes from a couple of non or three uh, uh, non-canonical books, uh, scriptures, the books of Enoch. Uh, I think there are three of them, if I remember right. Um, yeah, but I think the first one is the only one that really mentions it. And really yeah, talks about it. it. The other, the, I think the other two are more um, poetic writings. I think. Yeah, but you know, the theory is that uh, you know a group of angels, um, and you know the 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 evangelicals like to to think say that they're demons because they came to Earth, um, and angels apparently aren't supposed to live here and 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 hang out with with human females and, and interbreed. Uh, which is apparently what what happened according to the book of Enoch um, and and that short verse in Genesis, which you know again, I, I couldn't even begin to quote to you. It's not my area of expertise, but you know apparently the idea is that there was an interbreeding between human and and angelic energies um, and you know produced these this giant race. Um, now, how you make the jump from this giant race of humans, basically, to Sasquatch, um, I'm not sure. because it's just because they're know, tall. Where did we get the fur from? For, you know, for the, in the first right. place, where did we get the fur from? Yeah. Well, like, well, there's, there's also another... Giant human beings, right? Right. There's also another idea that Esau, you know, the brother of Jacob, was, was, was a Bigfoot. That's another one that I've heard. That's because, you know, he's hairy. Uh, you know. I mean, I whatever, folks. You know, I mean, whatever floats your boat. Um, I'm, I'm not a biblical scholar. I don't pretend to be a biblical scholar. I probably know more about the Bible than some of the people that are spouting it. But, you know, it's not my area of expertise. It's not something I'm particularly interested in. Uh, you know, I don't make any claims to 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 uh, you know follow the book or any of that kind of stuff. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there are people out there that are trying to equate uh, Sasquatch with the Nephilim, and I think it's a heck of a reach. But you know, I mean, if you did have a group of of uh, beings that had come about as the result of a human angelic interbreeding. Um, and over the course of time, they evolved and hair evolved this hairy coat and, and, you know, went off into the woods and, you know, lived their own little Sasquatchy lives. Um, it would account for some of the weird powers that have been assigned to Sasquatch, I guess. So, you know, it's not completely beyond the realm of possibility. Um, I just, you know, so much of it relies on you know, believing in some book that uh, I'm not, you know, it's not high on my list of, of things to, to, to account for as, as far as, as, you know, Sasquatch goes, um, you know, same with demons. Um, if you uh, look at sources that are older than the Bible, um, you still see that there is a certain type of malignant spirit which really seems to have it in for human beings um, that appears to be capable of you know very poltergeisty kinds of phenomena right um, 
poltergeists sometimes get confused with demons because they get ticked off and do anti-Christian things like the black monk. Uh, they tried to exercise him and, uh, and he took on a very uh, anti-Christian sort of, of pattern after that, um, which, you know, if you had some of these folks out there, evangelical types would look at this as, oh, that's a demon. No, you just ticked off a poltergeist. Yeah. Um but, you know, so demons are capable, apparently, of doing, uh, you know, I talk a, bit, a little bit about this in the book, are capable of doing some of these sort of poltergeisty things, moving things around and, and that sort of thing. But I just don't see uh, demons as an explanation for a lot of the Class B phenomena out there because their whole thing appears to be you know obsessing people possessing people that kind of thing um so where would a predatory spirit live it would live where there are people right where there's prey it wouldn't be hanging out in the wilderness um if it was pursuing somebody um then I would think that it could think of something far more scary to do than wrap on trees and, and you know, make bipedal foot, uh, footsteps around somebody's tent. Um, I just don't buy, you know, demons as, as being any kind of an explanation for class B phenomena at all. Sure. Um, anything is possible, um, but they're much better candidates for, uh, you know, as far as the, the, you know, spirits go, there are much better candidates like the fair folk uh, yeah. for class B encounters than, than demons. So I think, de uh, I think demons, I think demons are just a matter of perspective. Really? I mean, I think it's just, well, you know, yeah, I mean, there are clearly, um, you know, going all the way back to Mesopotamia and Assyria and so forth. They're clearly, um, they, they encountered and, and, and wrote about and developed magical methods of dealing with these malignant spirits that really seem to have it in for human beings. Um, you know, I, I don't even know that you can call them demons, uh, you know, because the word demon actually comes from the Greek daimon, which was basically just a spirit. Um, there were, right. you know, Agatha Daimon and there were Kako Daimon, uh, you know, the good ones and the bad ones. Um, you know, I might be more appropriate to call them devils or something. I, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I didn't want to spend a lot of time talking about this stuff because I felt there was much more interesting sure. stuff to talk about. Yeah, but I absolutely. felt I had to at least address it because somebody somewhere He's in an interview was going to ask me yeah. about that, right? right. <laughs> Particularly if you know, there was the the you know if I were talking to some ghost hunters or something, somebody would ask me about that. So I figured I needed to talk about it. Yeah. Well, Travis, I mean, this has been uh, this has been a very interesting interview. I really enjoyed speaking with you about this. Enjoyed um, the book. Thank you. Yeah, very much so. Um, oh, I, I'm I glad flew, you enjoyed. Flew through this book. I really did. It was just it, it really held my attention, and uh, it, it's a subject that I really. Uh, I mean, poultry guys are fascinating in and of themselves. Oh um, yeah. 
but you know the, this i think was a book i think that then did kind of need to be to be written so we needed to kind of collate this and make these comparisons um so where can people find the book and uh where can people find you and there's got to be a next project because you you're, you're almost at nick you're almost at nick redfern level right now you're almost oh, there i wouldn't go that far <laughs> <laughs> nick's got dozens and dozens or maybe at least joshua coaching like level of, joshua coaching uh, level of book releasing yeah um so uh as far as where the book can be found it's available on amazon um if you have, uh, it's uh, available as a paperback. If you want to order paperback, uh, it's also available as a Kindle. Um, it's on Kindle Unlimited. Um, so, you know, if you subscribe to that service, you can you can get the book and you can read it right away. Um, as far as where to find me, um, I'm available on, you know, three of the social big social media sites. Uh, WT Watson author page on um, Facebook. Or if you want to uh, uh, contact me personally, it's it's Will Watson. Um, on Twitter, I'm at WTWatson2. And on uh, Instagram, I have an old handle that I used. It's at Curanir, C-U-R-U-N-I-R-6-0. Um, I don't post Instagram as much as I do to the other two mostly because I'm not much of a photographer, but every once in a while you'll see something or I'll put a book cover up or something along that line. I should be more active there. Um, as far as projects, um, I am working full time and, and, and trying to write at the same time. Uh, I, this one kind of took it out of me, so I'm probably going to take a little time to, to regroup. Um, I'm looking at two different things um uh you know I'm, I'm thinking about expanding the it's not demons um uh presentation into a book okay um Excellent. and i'd also like to write, i'd also like to write something about the silence um hmm. you know more along the lines of mysteries in the mist so um you know i'll surprise you <laughs> Okay. It goes to show that there's a lot to explore still in a lot of oh, the yeah. Oh, yeah. experience. Oh, yeah. I, I will I will never, you know, this is you know, this is my passion. Yeah. I will never run out of, of topics to write about ever. Yeah. <laughs> you are uh, well needed in this field for sure. And you're you on a roll. Yourself. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. This is what um let's see. It's Phantom Black Dogs. And there was Mysteries in the Mist. And there was Canadian Monsters and Mysteries. Sasquatch Canada. The Force Bold. So this is my fifth book now. So, yeah, good. Yeah, that's excellent. That's awesome. Yeah. That's good. So, so for people who actually read the Forest Poltergeist and like it, there's there's lots of other stuff for you to dig into too. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Travis. I stay in the line for us. We're just going to close out the show, um, guys. It's great to be back. We're got a looking forward to the to the new year and the year to come despite yes, all the craziness that might happen. We, uh, we, we're going to have a actually releasing a Patreon. It's kind of a short yes. one, but it's going to be there at some point in the next, in the next week or so. Um, and Surfiel can tell you if you want to support us where you can go to do that. If you so desire. 
you can go over to patreon.com slash conspiranormal. And uh, thanks everyone for sticking in with us and supporting, uh, even though we haven't been delivering too much Patreon content, but that is, uh, looks like that's changing. We've got some plans to just do some simple, fun conversations, commentary uh, on uh, goings on in the paranormal conspiracy worlds to get our perspective on stuff that we necessarily don't want to give uh, an entire show's uh, attention to. But that's over at patreon.com slash conspiranormal. All right, guys. Uh, we will be back soon next week. Uh, Recluse will be returning, and then uh, we will be coming back with other guests after that. So stay tuned on Conspiranormal.